tenacity. It has its origins in many places. And for today's guest, tenacity came through hardship early in her life. And it turns out it has served her many times over. I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness and the uncertainty of our world. Josie Bryce-Smith was once a Vogue beauty editor's best-kept secret and today she's the founder, CEO of Clean Luxury Hair Care Company, Original and Mineral, the original pioneer of ammonia-free hair colour in Australia, which when you hear this episode, you will realise is harder to reach than you think. There is purpose behind her persistence. She is in the business of saving your health, my health, our health, through our hair. In this conversation, Josie shares openly and transparently about her personal journey, some of the struggles of pioneering in an industry and the hardship of being an entrepreneur. We talk about how she and her team are navigating the current disruptions to work and business. Her perspective on life is infectious. She is busy. When she's not jumping between meetings with her team, vendors, investors and new business opportunities and working diligently to sustain her objective on healthy hair. She's doing this whilst also being a mother of two. Please enjoy this conversation from someone whose focus on health and positive contributions to our world is what she lives every day. You'll hear it dripping from the tenacious Josie Bryce-Smith. Josie, it's lovely to be sitting down and connecting with you. Yeah, thank you. It's so nice to meet you, Alison. Oh, lovely to meet you as well. We were just talking about uh, the current environment and and just the way that we're adapting and uh, navigating to some of the changes. What are some of the changes that you've you found in the last, I don't know, six to eight weeks that you've you've needed to navigate? Yeah, I mean, it was crazy when it first happened and we were told to stay home. I mean, it was just, if anyone had said at the end of last year, oh, you're going to have to stay home for six weeks. Business is going to stop. You're not going to travel because I do about 15 weeks travel a year for work. And so I was supposed to be in Italy at a trade show. And then I was doing an ocean recycled packaging trip in Indonesia. Like there was so many things. So I think first there was shock and 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 then, you know, when the children had to come home, because I've got an eight-year-old and a 13-year-old. And so, and I'm a, you know, not married I'm on my own so I was like wow and now we're all at home um and it was keeping I think the biggest thing was keeping the team feeling positive so I actually felt the first thing I had to do was come out in front of my team and my customers and say okay this has happened but we're all in it together and everything's going to be fine doesn't mean that you know our turnover wasn't dropping as well and we weren't having to all take reduced hours and reduced salaries including me but I just wanted to show that we were all together and and really open those lines of communication so I think the whole world adapted very quickly to video conferencing and um, you know living that way I think it, it happened very fast and I think really what it boils down to is that people's number one value is health. I mean, if we don't have our health, we don't have anything. So we had no choice. And, and I call it navigating, not coping because coping's obviously a bit of a negative word. So yeah, there was a lot to navigate, but I've actually really enjoyed it. And I think there's a lot of positives that will come out of it. 
Yeah, I do too. I think, um, and I agree. I think that re recalibration on on health, uh, as you say, it's something that's always always been there for us. But to actually have to make decisions and change our lifestyles uh, because of health and and health of those. Uh, people around us and the vulnerable in the community um, has been a, a huge kind of recalibration. Health is obviously something that uh, is very close to your heart. It's something that's driven uh, your your business um, and your passion. What is the connection for health for you, and, and or where where is that become a a hook for you uh, to build a, a business and a, a lifestyle from? Yeah. So um, I. Uh, grew up in the UK, just north of London, and um, my mum, you know, I laugh about it now, but my mum had me in health food stores when I was, you know, from a small child, and I was never allowed chocolate, I was always having the yoghurt covered raisins, and I, <laughs> I never knew any different, and she had me off sugary drinks, like we used to drink this drink called Appletizer, and that was like, and sparkling water was like the height of excitement, and um, so she was always very about organic and natural and, and pesticides on food. So I was brought up with that. And I think it was partly driven by my dad got diagnosed with cancer when he was 35. And uh, he had quite a rare form of cancer that was in the roof of his mouth. Um, and uh, he went on a 10 year journey and eventually died when he was 45 and I was 17. And so I think, you know, watching his journey and seeing what it did to him, it made me really, and my mum also continued to drum into me that really all you have is your health and, and you know, you've just got to look after yourself. And that was pivotal in my journey. And I've been on that journey ever since. I can imagine for that 10 years, they're pretty 10 formative years for you between seven and 17 uh, seeing your father going through that kind of health scenario what was that like for you as a as a 17 year old um, I guess coming to terms with with his passing and and his impact on his health yes totally I mean I think as well you know with parents even when one of them dies you actually never think they're going to die do you know what I mean? Because we think our parents are just going to be there forever, particularly when we're young. They're the strong ones. They're our role models. So even though I knew he was very sick, when he died, it was a massive shock to me. Um, and then I think, I mean, I've done a lot of therapy over the years. And I think that um, physiologically you feel abandoned, even though, you know, mentally, like he didn't abandon me, but you feel you've been abandoned. So there was a lot of, you know, things that went on from there for that but mainly what I did was I used it as a driver so of course I went through all the stages of grief and feeling lost um, but he said to me before he died three things he said one you'd be very good in your own business and I was like what so he said yeah and he said two even when other people are mean. You don't be mean. You're not a mean person. Just move around them. Don't be mean. I was like, okay. And then three, he said, life is a gift. Don't waste it. So, and I feel, and in some way we're all honoring our parents. So I'm sort of honoring that. And a lot of the work that I do has been around honoring that, you know, being in my own business. And, and I didn't really ever know what it was going to turn into. It's just that 
hair care and the health around hair care became my small part of the planet that I wanted to make a difference in. But yeah, that was my motivation. I love that, those, those sentiments and uh, those things that stick with us. What do you think he saw in you as a 17-year-old for that first comment around, I think you'd be good in your own business? What, what do you think he, uh, he saw in you even then? Yeah, well, I asked my mother this actually, and she said, well, you were always very entrepreneurial. So I had a pony in England, you know, a lot of horse riding, and I always used to want to buy things for my pony. And they said to me, we will pay half. You need to pay the other half if you want the expensive saddle and rug. And so when I was 12, I started working as a chambermaid cleaning hotel rooms. And I can remember I used to get paid £1.50 an hour and I loved it. I loved the freedom. And, and so from 12, I always worked. So I, I did every crappy job that you can think of. I worked in cafes, uh, clean tables, hotels. I worked at the airport. I worked in an all-night bar at the airport, but I always worked. So I think that he could see that I was highly self-motivated. And, um, and that's why he thought, and my understanding of money and my, the value I had around money, he obviously thought I would be good in my own business. And I think perhaps he was wanting me to do something that he felt he was good at as well. He was sort of projecting onto me. Yeah, so seeing those traits and, and yeah. encouraging that from a very early, a very yeah. early age. You said uh, before that, you know, getting into kind of healthcare and, and the health around hair, um, not healthcare, hair care, uh, and the health around hair was, is your kind of corner of the world. Uh, what was it that, that, I guess, brought you to, to that area? Well, I've always been very passionate about my own hair. I've had every colour and style that you can possibly think of. And, um, but for probably the last 20, 25 years, I've landed on blonde. And um, so I was getting, I was working in media in London and I was getting my hair done in a salon that had ammonia free hair color. And I went there because there was no smell, no fumes. And my mum had said to me, she found an article, I think in the Sunday times and said to me, you should go there. And it was right near my office. And so that was what started me on my journey. And I met my partner then who became my partner who became my husband who now I'm divorced from <laughs> and he's a hairdresser so after about three months he came back to Australia to open a salon and uh, I came for a holiday which turned into so that was in 2000 and I, I never left and and after a while of, of him opening the salon um, you know they just thought that people were going to rush in and um, he was with a very well-known colorist they'd come from big salons that were very busy but there was no social media then you know none of the they didn't even get the clients phone numbers they just opened the door so after about a couple of months I started to work there on the reception and I couldn't believe the smell of the hair color in the salon because the salon was a bit smaller there was no ammonia free hair color in Australia and there was perming going on as well it was like eye watering and I was on the reception and I said, oh my goodness, is it, am I going to have to breathe this in every day? And never mind about me, you're the ones that are close to it. And you're putting that on people's heads. And I was like, wow, I really don't think we know what the long-term health effects are of breathing that in and putting that on their heads. Surely this is going to become a hazard. So anyway, 
long story short, we ended up finding the factory in Ireland that made this ammonia free hair color, which was like the world's first ammonia free hair color. We brought it over to our salon. And you see, Alan, my ex-husband, had very bad contact dermatitis, like really his hands would bleed. We had apprentices that their hands were, they were allergic to latex gloves because they become so resistant through all the chemical. And um, so we, um, we basically kept it to ourselves for seven years and we became known as Sydney's most organic salon. We became like a beauty editor's secret. We got this little write-up in Vogue and that it snowballed and all the beauty editors started to come. And, and, and I think that we really started the health trend in, in hair products uh, and particularly in hair color. And, and so it was after about seven years of keeping it to ourselves that we started to sell it to other salons. And that's when it sort of took on a life of its own. And where did the name Original and Mineral come from? Was that uh, obviously connected to, to the, um, the, the organic kind of nature, the mineral nature of the product? But uh, yeah. no so doubt. Originally, originally, the product was called Organic and Mineral. And that was actually the name of the manufacturers. And we but what would happen is when i would walk into a salon and say oh my hair is an ammonia free blonde they would say no it's not and then they would say how organic is it and i would say oh it's not organic like hair color is a chemical reaction but this has got no smell no fumes and it's ammonia free so eventually i realized what happened was probably in about 2009 some of the major companies started to put a few organic ingredients in something and put it in a supermarket and make these big claims. And I thought, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to have integrity about what I say. And I want, there's enough unique selling points about the product that I don't need to lie. So we changed the name to Original and Mineral and we owned the brand. We changed the relationship with the manufacturer. So they became a contract manufacturer. And because we were the original pioneers, so original is definitely part of our DNA. Because honestly, over the last 12 years, we have made so many mistakes. We definitely pioneered it for the whole industry. You know, there's people making ammonia-free color now off the back of all the mistakes that we made uh, because we made a lot. Because when you're trying to do something that's never been done before and you want you want blonde and you want gray covered and you need salon professional quality, but you want less chemicals. I mean, when you take that stuff out, you're going to need to work out what to replace it with. And that's, that was the biggest part of the journey. I can imagine just the learning cycle of that, that others don't have to do because there's, there's already been, been learning done um, that would have been both frustrating and a massive celebration to be, at the forefront uh, of all of that. You talk about, and you know, over, over the 12, 12 years, um, having ups and downs. Is there a, a, a failure, uh, for want of a better word, that comes to mind that maybe you learnt the most from, or um, was the, the down that actually allowed you to, to have a platform to move to somewhere else? Is there one that comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Um... I think the the one around the product is probably the biggest one because the the product obviously is everything and we we just had we basically tried to take PPD and resorcinol out of hair color and PPD is a, is a dark hair dye that's in its highest concentration in black so if it's at the highest in black in blonde it's not in a high concentration but most of hair color is 
mid-brown. It's people covering gray. That's what most of the market is. is. And when you take out the most potent dye, we had a lot of problems with gray coverage. We then had a lot of problems with stability. And I moved to a very big manufacturer in the US who's made a huge global color brand. And they said to me, we did this brand and we can take PPD out. And I spent four years with them and it was a total disaster. And we just had product problem after product problem, stability issue. And, um, and in the end, I had to, and in the end, the guy that does all of my color testing, who's this hairdresser called Paul, who is a great friend of mine, has a salon in Darlinghurst in Sydney. He said to me, I'm leaving. The manufacturer cannot do what you want them to do. It cannot be done, Josie, you're crazy. And I can't be at the receiving end of all these complaints anymore. So anyway, it was a really, it was a really big slap in the face because I mean, I love him like my brother. And also I had put everything into it and I had remortgaged my house and the business was basically trading insolvent. Um, it was like really close to the edge. Um, I had business partners that had lost all faith in me and were extremely critical. So I had it coming from all sides, but it was a really good moment because I just thought, okay, I've got two choices here. One, I give up and focus on just the hair care, which was going quite well, or two, the universe is sending me a message that I need to re-strategize. And so I got on a plane to Italy and I started to go around factories in Italy because actually a lot of the world's hair color is made in Italy. So I'd say that, you know, it was a horrendous time, but it, it, it turned into the best thing that happened to me because it got so bad that it forced me to move to another manufacturer in Italy. And then I actually, when I came back from Italy, it was about nine months later when I found the factory, I went into Paul's salon and he said to me, what are you doing here? And I said, Paul, Paul, I'm moving the color. I shouted it across the salon because I was too afraid to get close to him. And he went to me, you're effing crazy. And I said, I know, but you're the only one who knows what went wrong. So you're the only one who can tell me if it's right. And if it doesn't cover gray, like ammonia color, I don't want to do it anymore. So can you try it for me? And that was where it started. And then we started to do models and he would ring me and say, Josie, I've got Maureen. She's got 100% white hair and I've put a 9 on it and it's covered better than L'Oreal. Like we were testing against all ammonia color. And so then we knew that we'd cracked it and we had the low chemical clean color that worked exactly like chemical color. So yeah, it was, it was a hell of a journey. What kept you going? Uh, so often what can, some of it can just be the, the focus, the passion, the direction. Sometimes it's network. Sometimes it's your own uh, kind of mindset. What was the thing that, that kept you going and, and I guess helped you to be able to celebrate when you saw that win? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think what kept me going really was that fear of not honoring what my dad said that I'd be good in my own business. I think if you it really, it just comes, it comes down to that. And, but I also think my own self-worth became tied up in it as well, because I put so much time and money and effort. And I really genuinely believed that hair color was going to become a health choice like food or makeup. So I just kept going. And I, 
I've always been good at celebrating wins, even when they're not wins. I've always been good at seeing the positive and I've learned over the years to be my own best friend and to say, well done, Josie. I don't go into self-punishment and self-loathing because I did that a lot after my dad died. I blamed myself for a lot of those things, but I realized you've got to be your own best friend and you cannot, you've got to be able to pick yourself up and go, what did I learn? What message is the universe sending me? You know, is that person that I'm working with draining me? Are they giving me energy or are they draining me? Are they criticizing me? And are we misaligned? Being able to walk away. So I tried and tried and tried for four years with this manufacturer because I felt they put so much in as well. I wanted, I had empathy for them, but actually I should have walked away after two years because I knew that they couldn't do it. Um, so yeah, I think, but I think just that wanting to black, black yourself blindly was kind of what kept me going. Sometimes in business, it is that, uh, the ability to make the tough calls, um, and particularly for women in business, that can be a, a, a tough place to, to sit, uh, especially when we have empathy and we want to kind of support others. Uh, even that story, and I love you kind of sharing of, you know, I knew after two years, but I gave them forward because I, I hoped um, that can teach us around sometimes the power of making those tough calls early. If there's someone listening to this who maybe needs to make their own tough calls, do you have any, uh, I guess, advice or support that you might, uh, that you might provide? Yes, yes, I've definitely learned and, and I I always have a mentor. I've had different ones over the years and they've always sort of happened organically, you know, rather than I've gone seeking them. But I've learned that you've got to hire slowly and fire fast. Like people show you who they are early on. And what we do is we ignore the signals and we try to see the best and they you can't change people you can only change the way that you feel about them and i think it's much better to walk away and lose a bit of money and be able to grow than to be in a situation which isn't serving you so and if it boils down to one thing it's really just trust your gut and you've got to be brave uh you just you've got to be brave and you've got to be able to it's okay to put yourself first in your own needs See, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are so grateful to the people that follow their dream and help them on their journey. They sort of almost sometimes put their needs first. But I've learned that your own life jacket on first. Be okay with putting yourself first. Do you have any non-negotiables? Uh, I guess in order to manage your own energy, your own focus, particularly, I mean, at the moment you're not travelling, but when you talk about travelling 15 weeks in a year, you need to be able to get off a plane and, and get to work uh, straight away. What, what helps you? What are some of those really practical things that you do in order to, I guess, safeguard, put on your own life jacket, safeguard your own energy for, for this uh, business journey that you're on? Yes, totally. I um, um, uh, The biggest thing for me is it's all about the morning routine. So what I've learned is that if you have a successful day, it's about how you set yourself up for that day in the morning. And so I wake up every morning around between 5 and 5.30 a.m. and I meditate for 10 minutes. And then I um, do EFT tapping, which is... Um, 
there are like these eight tapping points and it's clinically proven to release blockages. Um, and then I do a breathing technique that's like a couple of minutes. And so for me, I need to be in my body because I'm so ideas driven and I'm so entrepreneurial that everything's going on around in my head and I need to try and stay in my body. Um, and so those are my non-negotiables, sleep, the morning routine. And then after the morning routine, I exercise. I exercise pretty much every single day. Um, and I'm, I'm a bit of a basket case without that. So even if I have to go into work a bit late, if I'm doing school drop-off or something, I do, I do that. Do you, uh, at the moment, we're going through a huge amount of change and you talked right, um, right at the start about, you know, turning up with strength and empathy for your team. What are the ways that you motivate your team through and have navigated that through change, I guess, both in the past and at, at the moment, those who are on the journey with you. Uh, what are some of your tips and strategies for your own team culture um, and, and for motivating the people who do the work alongside you? Yeah, I think, I think that really any relationship, whether it's work or children or, or you know, uh, business, romantic, people want to feel safe and valued. And so I think that my job is to give a clear vision for the company and to make people feel heard and listened to and to make them feel valued and, and to make them feel safe. So whilst you know everyone's got to be realistic about the impact that COVID's had on the business, I also want to make them feel safe. So I think what we did immediately was we asked everyone if they would agree that we would all drop our hours by 20%. So everyone has Fridays off and we all dropped our salaries. So it was like we were all in it together. And so everyone agreed with that. And then we have a morning call that's just a check-in. It's literally like 30 minutes. There are about 18 people on it and we're just checking in. So I think there's that sort of touch. And then we also say that everyone should ring at least two other people from work a day just for a social call, just to see how they are. So I think it's that interaction. And then, you know, there are some people that have children and some don't. It's about people's individual circumstances. And, and what I've learned is that, you know, the company and me are only as good as the people around me. And so I just want everyone to feel valued. And uh, that's that's what I try to do. As you say, kind of navigating, um, and you mentioned before you've got a couple of kids as well, so you're navigating uh, work and you know school from home and uh, being a mum and all the rest as well. What uh, what is helping you through through navigating all of that, or what what is surprising you? I guess actually, what's surprising you about um, the current circumstance you're in? Yeah, I'm actually surprised at how well everyone's navigated it, how Jasmine and Dylan have as well. You know, Jasmine's um, in year eight, and so she's doing uh, FaceTime school, like she's pretty much on from nine till three. And Dylan is uh, in year three, and he's on Google Docs and doing mathematics. And, you know, they've been very um, considerate about my work. They understand that, you know, I, I've got to work certain hours and, and they've been really good about it. And, you know, even just staying inside is hard for everyone. Um, you know, we've got more into cooking. I, I got a Thermomix, which... <laughs> Watch <fun>. out. <laughs> I know. So I, 
I've always wanted a Thermomix, but they're quite expensive and they've gone on 36 months interest-free. It's like $60 a month. So I was like, right, I'm going to get Thermomix. And there's a lot in cooking and making something and enjoying it. And my kids have got involved and, and that's been really good. And, and I've been listening to more Audible. And I think there's just a calmness about not being able to be, have to be anywhere. And actually, even with friends, it's like I've done Zooming and house party, but you don't have to see that friend. You know what I mean? It's kind of like we're all just having a bit of a break from each other. It would be lovely to see everyone again. But although they were under a different kind of pressure, we're under less pressure in another way. So I just think that the, the way that we live, the way that we love and the way that we value time is going to change because, you know, time, you know, we've had our freedom taken away from us and who would have ever thought that would happen? And and then now we realize that health is number one and we need to value our time and we worked out different ways to work and, and actually I've really enjoyed spending more time with my children and I can see that they're happier and I don't want to go back to, you know, just having a nanny and constantly, you know, like that. I would rather try and work my time out better so I can keep some of the good changes. Have you got any glimmers on on what you might keep and and how you might keep that once uh, once calendars start to fill up again and uh, trips start to happen again? What might be those things that you take out of uh, take out of lockdown, so to speak? Yes, I think um, the biggest thing is that I'm implementing a flexible work practice in my office, um, and so um, we're going to have one day a week work from home is optional. Um, and then also we're going to have flexible start and finish time so that people can go to the gym or, you know, do the school drop off or whatever they want. So I think that that's going to impact the workplace a lot. And I think for me personally, I will take that one day a week from home as well. And then I think that I will do uh, some of my uh, video calls from home rather than going into the office. So I think I'll, I'll do that because I feel... I feel calmer as well doing it from home because I don't feel like, oh, there's that person that wants to talk to me. So I didn't realise how much that anxiety was over knowing that person needs to ask me a question, but I'm busy. Um, and then I just think I just want to spend more time with my children. I think, you know, you look at the amount of people that have died. I mean, we've got no idea what's going on. I've got 11 people that are in lockdown in New York because we have an O&M salon there and they, Janelle, who I own the salon with, we speak nearly every day and she, you know, she's like, babe, I go to the supermarket every 10 days, you know, and when she goes and they get back in the car, like they change their clothes, like they're actually afraid of dying. Like we don't have any concept of that and I just don't think that we'll go back to the same way that we did and I think we need to spend more time being kind to each other and with our children and actually we can get a lot done now with video conferencing we can get a lot done and have more time just to enjoy our lives because who knows when the next pandemic is going to hit or or one of us gets cancer or you know what happens yeah, in some ways, I think um, a little bit of that innocence of the way that we were working has has shifted and changed. And I think there's a lot more stories, particularly in New York, uh, but in the US um, that we're going to hear in the coming months uh, that will come out as well that I think changes our perspectives, but also changes our values. Um, and as you've said, I, I think a lot of that will come back to our health. What is exciting you or, or where do you see what's next for you as a business owner, uh, but also on that business journey with Original and Mineral? Um, I think 
uh, you know, we, my biggest passion is to stay at the forefront of clean in hair care. So we're already uh, researching constantly and working with chemists constantly on ways to reduce harsh chemicals in hair care uh, whilst keeping the performance. But I think the other thing that's happened now is that we've, we're on a sustainability journey, like the world is moving that way. And so we're moving to all ocean recycled packaging by the end of the year. We've just made, we own our own factory here and we've just made it solar. It's going to be like 85% solar. Um, so, you know, we're looking at what are the things that we can do, you know, there's actually um, uh, forestry accreditation now for uh, all paper products, so we're moving to that, so, we're, and we're looking at the EU sustainability goals, and they've made a whole bunch of promises, and which ones of those could we fit into, and I think that's, that's where the brand's going, and and, and actually a really big thing for me is the sort of female journey. I'm very much into empowering women and, and I love, I mean, I love men too. We need men as well. I just think that women, it's kind of our time to shine now and women are opening businesses at a rate of 140% to men and, and hair care, like even within our own customers, 72% of them are female salon owners. So even for the statistics on women on boards, like hairdressing is doing that. And I would like to grow that side of it as well. And I mean, I want everyone to feel empowered. And obviously there's a massive gay community with hairdressing as well. And so, you know, we're very much supportive of that. And I just, I just love anything that's sort of got a social kind of doing good. I just think we're in a discovery phase where people want to connect. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's where we're going. And I think the um, I agree. I think the power of brands um, having a voice and and standing for uh, some of those really important human uh, needs is is really really critical. If you were to go back and I guess give just one piece of advice to your seventeen year old self, uh, what would that be? Um, you know, um, I really think back yourself just know how good you are like so much of what we do comes down to self-worth and self-belief if they should teach it in schools they should teach in schools kind of tony robbins manifesting self-belief if i could tell myself one thing is back yourself and also trust that the universe has got your back do you know what i mean like we try and control and predict but actually all we know is right now and and you know what it's always okay even after it's bad it's always okay and yeah so I think just yeah I would have told myself to back myself and and not be afraid I love that I love that I um as you know, the name of this podcast is called Standout Life. I, I ask this question of every guest um, at the end of a conversation. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? Yeah, I, I mean, I love that name. It's brilliant. And I think that um, our journey is to be the best version of ourselves and to live our best life. So I think everyone can have a standout life and everyone's standout life is different and we're all just on our own journey and all anyone can ask is that we just be the best version of ourselves. So I live every day with gratitude and feeling lucky and I think that that's 
that's a standout line. Josie, it's been such a delight to chat with you. Um, I love your tenacity, the, um, the, the way that you've stuck with your brand and, and got to where you've gotten to now. Um, I just know what's coming in the next 10, 20 years is going to be also pretty remarkable. So thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed talking to you.